Uh, Father, I pray that Christ's words would be readily received, that we would lean into them, Lord. Keep us from foolishness, that we would not take serious the words of the creator of the universe as he graciously teaches us and warns us. Father, we thank you for your word. Without it, we would not have any idea where to turn in our life. God, I pray that you give us faith as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to take a poll on whether or not you like surprises, uh, we would probably have a mixed room. Some people maybe not minding surprises. Others uh, hating them. Uh, I think I've heard people say, to their spouses, don't you ever surprise me. Don't you ever uh, throw a surprise party or whatever. I will not like it. And those are surprises for good things. God knows that surprises, especially bad ones, may be the worst uh, experience a human could face. To be surprised in a moment uh, with bad news. To be surprised in a moment uh, being caught guilty can be one of the worst things uh, any human can experience. I was just thinking, in what ways have I been caught or surprised in my life? I remember being 16 years old uh, just got my driver's license. My mom had a little white Chevy Corsica with an emergency brake, which was a wonderful thing because that meant the back tires would lock up and on snowy, icy roads, I could slide around a corner, uh, which I thought was really awesome. And uh, I remember a couple of friends of mine uh, and I went, East of uh, Watertown, there's some gravel pits just right on the east side of town. And you kind of have those gravel pit roads. And and uh, I was cruising around on those, and I pull up the emergency brake. And sure enough, I ended up going in the ditch and uh, was buried really bad on one side. But I did what everyone does when you go in the ditch, even when it's bad. You put it in reverse and see if you can reverse yourself out. I couldn't. Uh, my friends pushed. We couldn't really budget. And then I think when you're 16, your brain doesn't quite work totally right yet. One of my friends said, let's see if you can get the speedometer over 100 <laughs> as, as the wheels are spinning. And uh, so I proceeded to 
get my mom's car over 100 miles an hour spinning, and I turned the wheel, and it's lucky one of us didn't get killed because the hubcap went about 75 yards. <laughs> the little plastic hubcap <laughs> went flying off. And at this point, I, I'm in big trouble. I'm trying to think, how in the world can I not have my parents find out about this? I can't be caught. I knew I had it several hours before they would wonder anything. And luckily, they didn't have tracking on cell phones then. Because I'd have no reason to be in a gravel pit. But uh, I called a friend whose dad had a pickup with four-wheel drive. And I asked him to bring a chain or a rope. And he came out. And uh, in the meantime, one of my friends had to get to had to get back into town for something, and so another friend had to come pick him up and and take him. So my good friend gets there with his dad's pickup, and he gets a chain and he hooks it underneath my mom's car. Somewhere on the frame, there's a little hole in the frame, <laughs> and he was trying to pull and he couldn't budge it because it was kind of icy. So he thought he would get some slack. And chains don't give. And long story short, that hole that he put the thing in ripped about eight inches long <laughs> through the metal. But I finally get out. And I think my parents will never look under their car. They'll have no idea this ever happened as long as Walmart or someplace has my mom's hubcap. And I can buy one of those. I'll be in the clear. So God had other plans, evidently, because as we were driving that one-mile drive into town, my friend that had had to get somewhere else earlier was on his way back to see if we were out yet. And as he drove by, I waved at him and stopped my car. I was going to talk to him, and I got two steps out of my car, and my friend that just pulled me out with his dad's brand new Chevy pickup turned around to look and see who just waved at him. And he hit the back of my mom's car right as I'm getting out of it. And it went into the ditch. You couldn't even open, you, you couldn't even open the back doors to the car. And I was caught. <laughs> Not going to be able to fix this one. Not going to be able to explain why I'm on that side of town. That was not one of my better days in this world. Maybe you've been caught speeding, uh, been surprised. Maybe you were caught on a pop quiz and you weren't ready to take it. And that stabbing fear has come to you. I remember getting a call from Betsy Hintz at the Christian school. Why is she calling at 8 in the morning? You're still planning on uh, devotions over here this morning, right? 15 minutes? Yep. I'll see you there. <laughs> what am I going to talk about? Those are bad moments that nobody wants to ex experience. But all those are ones that you move past. What Jesus is teaching about in this text has the highest level of 
uh, consequences. It has eternal consequences to them. And it actually relates to our text from last week. Uh, If you recall, Jesus was teaching his disciples not to be anxious. Do not worry. Don't have fear. And he gave eight different reasons why not. And he says, rather seek the kingdom of God. So picture a coin with two sides on it. One side of the coin says, do not worry. The other side of the coin says, seek the kingdom of God. You might not think those two things relate, but they do. To not worry, if you're going to obey Christ and not worry, you don't just simply shut your mind off from that thought, but you seek refuge in God. You seek God to be your provider. At the beginning of chapter 12, we kind of felt this uh, balance between don't fear those who kill the body, but fear Him who can send you to hell. Don't fear them, but fear Him that can send you to hell. And then the very next verse, He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten for God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are are not you of more value than they? So there's this idea where we're to fear God, fear being separated from His presence because He's our provider. Our fear is being separated from God. What would it be like living apart from God who cares for us? Who knows how many hairs are on our head? And in the same way, Jesus taught us last week, do not worry, seek the kingdom of God. And this text is going to show us what it's like to seek the kingdom. Because those sayings are things we hear all the, all the time, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Well, what does that mean? We know these statements as Christians, but what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? I think we're going to get a good idea in this text. Look at uh, verse 35. The charge of this sermon is seek the kingdom. And we're going to do that by being ready. Look at verse 35. Stay dressed for action. Literally, this means gird up your loins. To which you look at me like, what's that mean? Well, when Jesus said this, both men and women wore long flowing robes. And if you ever needed to run or go somewhere in a moment or be ready, what you would need to do is gird up your loins. You would grab your robe and you would tie it into your sash 
so your legs could be free to run. I think of uh, being in sports, no matter what sport, they kind of teach you the ready position, whether you're playing baseball or football or basketball. There's a position you stand in where in the least amount of time you can react and be able to be effective in whatever you're seeking to accomplish. A coach that sees uh, his uh, team standing up like this, not ready, their loins aren't girded up. They're not ready for something to happen. The idea is in a moment, you might need to act. And the first thing we learn with seek the kingdom of God is there's an attitude to it. There's a readiness. Get ready. Nobody coasts to heaven. Yes, we're saved by grace and not by works. But we're saved unto readiness. We're saved so that we can actually seek a kingdom. The word seek is active. It's going somewhere. It's determined. There's a plan. This idea of getting saved and getting that deal done and living your life and then dealing with the Jesus stuff when the end of your life comes is foreign to the Bible. In fact, one of the gifts that God gives you in Christ when you're saved is the gift of readiness. You no longer need to slide or slither through this world. Just going from meaningless day unto meaningless day. But to seek the kingdom is to stay dressed for action. To gird up your loins. And then he says, and keep your lamps burning. And here's where you get to point two in your notes. Be right-minded. Be right-minded. Lamps, light, this word in the Greek is often pointing to spiritual knowledge and enlightenment. To seek the kingdom of God is to have an attitude of readiness, but also to be thinking rightly. In fact, your whole life flows out of your heart. He just said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, your mind is. So to seek the kingdom of God is to think according to God's word. To think according to reality. The way things really are now that you're a child of God purchased into His kingdom. And so, there's this mental readiness. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.13, in the King James Version, here's what Peter says. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope 
to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you to is holy, so you, so ye are, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Since I am holy, you should be holy. The idea is, Gird up the loins of your minds. Make your minds ready. Think rightly. And Peter says, don't think how you used to think. You used to chase every lust. Every desire you have, you run after it. Any craving, you go after. That's how the world lives. But as Christians who have who know the king, have been purchased by the king, and are going to enter that kingdom, we're to think that way. We're to think with a godly perspective. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 13.11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The idea is, yes, Christ has already come, but the culmination of our salvation when Christ comes is closer today. So now's the time to stay awake. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us think rightly. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, how often is the flesh knocking at your door? Because Paul just says, Make no provision for your flesh. If you're like me, the cravings of your sinful flesh are always at hand. Our need for readiness is in front of us at all times. If God saved us so we could put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's one of the privileges we have. We actually get to kill sin as Christians. So get ready. Prepare your mind. Think rightly. Worry will destroy your life if you don't control your mind. If you don't think rightly, it'll ruin your desires because what you think affects what you desire what you desire affects what you do. Your whole life flows out of your heart. That's what Jesus says. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And so we need to gird up our minds. This is what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God. Reading the Bible ought not be optional for the Christian if we need to be ready moment by moment. This is what it means to seek the kingdom, is to listen to the king. Listen to 
his message. So we need to be ready, be right-minded, and be resolute. Look at verse 36. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast. Now, in Israel, a wedding feast was quite the ordeal. They would sometimes last up to a week or maybe even longer. It kind of depended on how much food the host family could provide. Because as long as there was enough food to stay another day and celebrate the wedding, you would. And so for a master of a house to go to a wedding feast, he could be back in two days or he could be back in seven days and you would have no idea when the master is coming. That's why Jesus says this parable. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the, faster, or whom the master finds awake when he comes. The idea here, Jesus is obviously pointing to his second coming. And he's saying, do not worry. Rather, seek the kingdom of God. Have your minds ready so that when I come, it's just like, yep, that's what I prayed for this morning. I was expecting him. I've been living my life in light of the reality that Jesus Christ could come back today. If you knew Jesus was coming tonight, how would you live? If you knew he was coming at the end of the week, how would you live? This is what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God. All There's 300 prophecies of Christ. Over a hundred of them were fulfilled with his first coming. And he came. And he died. And he was raised just as it was prophesied. And there's almost 200 more prophecies about Christ's return. He's coming. And it could be at any time. And he says, blessed are the servants that were ready for him. That when he showed up, they didn't shrink back as the author of Hebrews says and say, whoa, I wasn't expecting you this early. Or the teenager whose parents go out of town and they plan a party and mom and dad come home a day early. Uh-oh, you're back. See, there's two types of people. There's two types of people in the world. Those who will be surprised and say, uh-oh. And there will be those who have been seeking the kingdom. It's as if they've been pulling it in with their thinking and their hearts and their desires and their lives. With their money and their material possessions. They've been investing in this kingdom that's surely coming. He says, blessed is that are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, this should humble us beyond belief. 
We could ask, what's that blessing look like? What does it mean they'll be blessed if they're ready? Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. This is unthinkable. That the slaves of this master, Jesus tells this parable, and they would just say, yeah, right. This would never happen. Under no means is the master going to set the slaves down and gird up his loins and make himself ready to serve the slaves. And yet, Jesus says, blessed are the ones who are seeking the kingdom of God, who are awake and are ready because He will serve us. What we're going to do today when we take communion, this is the illustration. Christ was a servant that purchased our salvation and He invites us to this meal. He's the host of it. He bought it with his own life. And we bring nothing to the table. He brings everything. It's like a marriage where the guy has all the assets. He has all the money. He has all the beauty. He has all the glory. Marrying someone that has incredible debt is incredibly ugly brings nothing to the table. That's what salvation's like. We come as rebels and sinners to Christ. And yet, when we trust in Him by faith, He clothes us with His righteousness. He feeds us with His food. His inheritance is our inheritance. I feel like there's no way we can comprehend what it means that the God of the universe serves these followers that have come to trust in Him, that He would humble Himself in that way, but that sort of blessedness is beyond what our mind can comprehend, but it's what awaits all of us. We eat this meal and we wait for the wedding supper of the Lamb. It is going to be incredible. So be resolute. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What if He doesn't come today? What if He doesn't come next year? At what point will you quit seeking the kingdom? When are you going to stop? To seek the kingdom, one must be resolute. We must stay awake. We must be ready to greet God. Not to earn our salvation, but because we realize how terrifying 
our life is not anchored to Him. You see that? We have a sure and steady anchor. When temptation comes and we fail, the anchor goes deeper still. We seek the kingdom not to earn our salvation, but because the worrisome, terrifying life of anchoring your life somewhere else is beyond comprehension. In Hebrews 10.32, the writer says this, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured, you endured, that's the key word here, a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partner with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. He's writing to people that as they went to feed fellow Christians that have been put in prison for their faith, while they were doing that, people said, ah, those are Christians. Because they didn't give you food in jail back then. If you were going to live, people were going to have to bring you food. But if you went and brought food to the Christians, you marked yourself off as a Christian. And these people went and they brought food to the Christians. And as they look back, their possessions are gone and their house is burning. And he's saying... You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Man, where were their eyes? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. That's what Jesus is teaching. You have need to endure in the faith until the end, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Two types of people. One who's been living by faith, who's been looking forward, and he comes back and we receive our king with joy and those who shrink back at the coming and said, oh no, it came quicker than I thought. And then he says in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So if you're a master of a house, often in those days thieves would come and the, their houses were quite easy to break into compared to ours nowadays. Sometimes you could just uh, knock down a wall. You could come through a roof, as we remember the paralytic that was left down. You would have been ready if you would have known when he is coming. But you don't know when he's coming. So be ready at all times. 
That's what verse 40 says. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does it look like to seek the kingdom? To set your eyes on Christ. Put your hope in Him. Build your life. Live your life in light of the second coming. 1 Thessalonians 5.2, Paul says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. You know who he is. You know that it's for sure he, it, that he's coming. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Waiting for the new heavens and new earth, living for the new heavens and new earth, is seeking the kingdom of God. So we must be resolute and ready. We must be reliable. He gives a different parable now. After Peter asks this question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord answers this question indirectly. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master, who his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. Blessed is the one who is a good steward with the responsibility the master has given him. The master leaves, comes back. The steward is doing what he asked them to do. More responsibility, more blessing will come from that master. Be reliable. This is speaking of our responsibilities in heaven. Did you realize in heaven we're going to work? We're going to be given positions of authority. We're going to be given responsibility. And how you live your life on this earth will determine the amounts of responsibilities you have in heaven in His kingdom. And work is a privilege and a blessing to be able to serve the King there with no thorns, no pain, no whatever work will look like in those days. So Jesus is saying, be reliable. 
He's speaking this to his disciples. And to everyone that can hear, we're going to see in a moment, he's speaking to everyone. And he's saying, I'm giving you teaching. Be reliable with it. I'm telling you my will. Live according to what I am telling you. And then in verse 45, and here's where we get to the last point, be real. This is a wake-up call, a reality check. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. There's people out there that say to themselves, my master is delayed in coming. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to live contrary to how God has called me to live. I'm not going to take care of the master's people. I'm going to take advantage of them. And let's just admit, this gets pretty gory at the end, right? He's going to cut him into pieces. And then verse 47, here's where we see the different degrees of hell. See, there's two categories in this last parable. There's those who are reliable servants. They're the believers. And then there's three types of unbelievers. And there's three levels of punishment in hell that Jesus teaches here. Here's the second level. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. The first one got cut into pieces. He abused the master's people and he just went and spent his, his stuff on his own selfishness. Another one just ignores what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't seem to harm people along, away, along the way. That one receives a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a severe beating. So there will be those that go to hell with almost zero or no knowledge of Christ. And it will be eternal punishment apart from God. But look at what he says. And to everyone whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they've entrusted much, they will demand the more. Here's the sobering reality. The more you know of Christ, the more you know of the gospel. If you reject him, your punishment will be the most severe. Being in church where the gospel's preached 
is a dangerous thing if you don't run to Christ. If you don't see Him as your only hope and say, I, I have no righteousness but Him. But if you take in the teaching and you learn from it and you say to yourself, I have time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this later. The warning is at its peak for you. And so everyone who's listening to Jesus has the Son of God. And He's giving these warnings. And He's telling them to seek the kingdom. He's just reminded them that God is a good Father who cares for His people. But many stiff arm Him and say, no, I'll provide for myself. I'll provide for my own food. I'll provide for my own way. And I'm going to do it in my strength and my effort. And I'm not going to seek the kingdom of God first. I'm going to seek my kingdom. I got this tacked on. It scares me how many people. The first time he came, he came to die for sinners. The second time he comes to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's my prayer, that everyone here would realize their state of their soul, the value of your soul. What if you were the most successful person in the world and you gained the whole world but forfeit your soul? Jesus said you'd be a fool because your investment is in an area that will disintegrate in a moment. So here's the conclusion. Jesus has been preaching all through Luke. Luke 4.43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus came. Luke 8.1, and soon after he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Christ right now offers you the kingdom. If you'll have the king, if you'll trust in him, if you'll recognize your sin and your rebellion against him, if you'll see how Christ has served you by going to a cross, bearing your sin, dying a death you could never die, ascending to the right hand of God, becoming the great high priest for anyone who would trust in Him. The perfect life He lived is like a perfect white robe of righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. If you trust in Him, He snatches away your sin and He gives you His righteousness. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. That's where your hope is. Father, thank You For Christ. Lord, we thank you for Christ's teaching that ahead of time, everyone in this room is alive. We're reminded of what matters. God, I pray that our desires 
would be anchored in you. For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. God, we thank you that when we do seek you, we no longer need to worry about worry. For when we seek you, all the things we used to worry about will be provided by you, every need according to your riches in glory. So Lord, I pray that you would put us in a ready position, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would prepare our minds, that we would press into the kingdom of God like athletes who are going to have that victory at all cost. And Lord, we know that we don't create our victory, but our striving and our seeking is a faith-seeking, looking to You, waiting for Christ to return, because we know that when He returns, the kingdom comes. We praise You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.